0: when people post on social media when they take photos that go to the cloud right anything that is connected to the internet is accessible at any time people need to start thinking that way right so when people tell me well it's okay that I post things on Facebook because only my friends can see it or it's it's okay I've got a I've got controls on my Instagram account right that is just the most misguided information that has been planted in people's head by these social media organizations. That is not true.
1: Boards aren't talking about this at every board meeting, then there's an absolute threat that they will not be around in five years' time. Do you support that? That's unquestionable. And unfortunately, the cybersecurity industry has left the
0: people part of it to last. They've left that to last. But if you're focused on the technology problem, you are only solving for symptoms. You're playing whack-a-mole. There's always going to be symptoms that you're trying to whack down and more are appearing. But if you go back to the root cause, which is always human behavior, which is the most difficult thing to solve. And that's what our business has been really, really focused on is is understanding the human, engaging the human in a positive way, in a positively impacted way, that they then become that human firewall for the business, for the government, for the country, for the planet then that's the best possible position, the best possible outcome.
1: A shout out to CEOs who are listening in and leaders of companies listening in. When it comes to cybersecurity, you're saying culture is number one. Number one. Absolutely, unquestionably number one. Hey there, my name is Daniel Franco and this is the Creating Synergy podcast. Your business and leadership podcast where we speak to high-profile leaders and thinkers about their careers and dig deep by asking the questions we all want the answers to, uncovering their stories, strategies, leadership lessons, and their secrets to success. Today on the show, we have global cybersecurity thought leader, Mr. Mohan Koo. As Dtech Systems co-founder and CTO, Mohan is recently been named by CyberScoop as Australia's only top 50 global cybersecurity thought leader. Mo, with his 20 plus years of cyber experience, has a specific passion for the intersection between security and privacy and for helping organizations to find a balanced approach. I'm not going to lie to you guys, this chat with Mo today was pretty hard hitting and it left me feel uneasy about how I've been using social media, Google, and anything digitally really. The cyber threat is real, folks, as we've just seen in the news with the recent Optus breach. And in this show, Mo and I go into not only what we should be doing and thinking about as leaders of businesses, but what we should be teaching our families and friends on how to protect our data and privacy online. We talked about the importance of the company's culture in mitigating these cyber threats to the potential of cyber warfare that Australian businesses and governments face in the near future. So without further ado, here is my chat with Mo Hankou. Welcome back to the Creating Synergy podcast. My name is Daniel Franco. Today we've got a, a guy who goes under the radar a little bit, but uh, his name is Mo. He is a top 50 global influencer in cybersecurity, um, as of we found out yesterday, didn't we, Mo? So, um, we don't want to share his details too much because he wants to stick true to his word. So, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, mate. It's a bit a of, bit of an oddball for me. Like, <laughs> a, a social media is such a huge part, and and obviously promotion and and sales and marketing is a big part. Um, not being able to share all your details is uh, is a strange one. But uh, thank you for for coming on the show. Um, wouldn't mind just learning a little bit about your story and how you became one of these, uh, well, one of the top fifty global influencers. In fact, the only one in Australia to be a global influencer uh, on the CyberScoop, um, uh, mag- is it magazine? Is that where they are? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting story, right? So you know when when i first um, started our company here in in adelaide in 2000 which is a long time ago like well before cybersecurity was a thing right mm. so back in those days it was called information security or yeah. it security and you know australia being australia like we have a very uh conservative way of operating most oh. australian companies and you know back in those days as a as a startup company in, in australia it was very hard to get you know the big um the big government departments or the big four banks or the you know the large telcos to really take us seriously because you know how the perception of how things were back then was well if if it's not a u.s technology and it hasn't been tried and tested in either the u.s or europe then it can't be worth its weight in salt and you know there really wasn't any reputable australian technology startups back Mm. then that were actually doing good on the global scale so you know, we had to move and and uproot ourselves and go to London to really kind of get mm. taken seriously. So that was an, an interesting interesting time in our lives. Yeah. Um, and you know, when we when we landed in London, it, it was it was easier to be taken seriously because people said, "Well, these guys have come all the way from Australia. They must they must mean what they say. They you know they've landed here. They've set up. They're not you know flying in and flying out. Mm-hmm. You know, they've set themselves up here and and moved their families here. So they're taking it seriously." We better give them the time of day, um, and that's where we really kind of built the business. And 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 for the the topic of this podcast, you know, security is important, but privacy is just as important. Mm. And and the fact that we grew our business, our, our cybersecurity business, in Europe, um, having that very privacy centric view of things was really really important. And in Europe, um, you know. If you're familiar with gdpr, gdpr is a is a privacy requirement, which which m- means that you know, as an employer, you have a responsibility to uphold your employees' privacy. Mm-hmm. And so you know a lot of a lot of American organizations and you know um, organizations that have come from different parts of the world don't take that view. You know, it's you work for my company. I will do what it takes to. You know, know what you're doing, and therefore, and therefore, the perception is: the more we know about what's going on, the more secure we are, which is actually not not the correct assumption. Mm.
1: So, I want to just cast back to you know, moving over. Obviously, taking picking up and taking the families is obviously a big theme. Mm. What was it about London and not America that was in your decision?
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So, I guess. One of the big influences was look I had I had never been to America at that point mm-hmm. in time and you know I guess the perception rightly or wrongly was that the culture the the business culture uh, between the UK and Australia was much more similar than it was with the US second secondly our competitors were coming out of the US okay. And so I felt like, to give you an example, when we first started the company, the first professional funding we raised way back when was 450000 mm. Aussie dollars. Yeah. And it was such big news in those days that it made the third page of the advertiser, <laughs> right? And – you know, our, about six months later, our closest competitor in the US raised their first round of professional funding of 20 million US <laughs> dollars. Yes, it's a fair difference. It's a big difference, <laughs> right? So you can imagine that for them being at the doorstep of the biggest market of the world mm. with 20 million dollars in the bank US, compared to us, that is far removed from the, the markets, the big growth markets mm. of the world. You know, we were at a massive disadvantage. And so... I think the, the, the cultural assimilation with the UK and, and a, a sense of being able to understand better mm-hmm. um, the way they do business and the fact that our com- biggest competitors were in the US, we opted to go to the UK. And also I think the UK government were really kind of reaching out for trying to get other organisations to come and set up in the UK. And so UK Trade and Investment, really kind of helped us with funding and relationship building and stuff like that. So we got a bit of a leg up from the UK government as well. Yeah, brilliant.
1: So where did uh, where did you grow the business to, to today? Like you, you're obviously – you're winning plenty of awards and getting noticed in, in many – areas as much as you, uh, want to <laughs> keep that on a low, on the low down, you know, recently the Percy foundation entrepreneur of the weird for, uh, of the, of the year of, um, in Australia, not only South Australia, but Australia. Um, you've, you've obviously built this business and had some really great success. Can you tell us, um, where you're at, where the business is at today?
0: Yeah. So we we're, we're um, I guess from a from a uh, a customer perspective is the easiest way to kind of understand where we're at today. So we have hundreds of customers. We've been focused on the most difficult, largest um organizations on the planet. So, for example, the top 3 banks in mm-hmm. the world are, you know, running our platform. Mm-hmm. You know, we're tracking and tracing what their people are doing with our data. Um large telcos Government organizations, the biggest government agencies in Australia are running this, for example. We work with defense agencies. Uh, and so we, we have to be we have to be able to do this at massive scale mm-hmm. and that takes time, right And you know this is not by any stretch of the imagination an overnight success story. Mm-hmm. A- and it's because you know to do this right, you ha- it, it takes time right? There is no way that you can shortcut the process of, you know, understanding cybersecurity to the level that you can, you know, deliver at scale for these size of organizations and deliver on what those employers need to have from a security perspective to protect their shareholders and to protect their customers, but also looking after the rights and the security of the employees. That's And that's that's our passion, is finding that balance between employee privacy and security of, of the data that they deal
1: with every day. Just a quick note, this episode is brought to you by Synergy IQ, leaders in enabling change. Synergy IQ are the ones you call when the change or challenge seems so complex and you don't know where to start. But more importantly, we're the ones you call when you want to make a change that will actually last. If you want to check them out, it's at SynergyIQ.com.au. Brilliant. So so the business is global though, is it? You're set up in still – you're in. You're now in the US in Silicon Valley and mm-hmm. you're still in London, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Yep. So, and any other locations across the world? Or? So
0: our focus is Five Eyes. So yeah. Five Eyes, for those that aren't aware, um, is the US, Australia, Canada, uh, the UK and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a, a very strong intelligence alliance mm-hmm. between those five countries. And – and primarily, uh, it has been that relationship, that allied relationship has been focused on the intelligence world. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's expanding, right? And so, you know, we've seen a lot of different initiatives. You've seen AUKUS, which is, yep. you know, the, the alliance between Australia, the U S and the UK being, being strengthened. So because of the, of the, the types of customers we deal with, we only deal with, um, organizations that are headquartered in those five countries, okay. they may operate in many parts of the world. And in in fact, we have a number of customers that have operations in Russia that are trying to disentangle themselves from that. And you can imagine all the different security concerns mm-hmm. that are happening for those organizations. So, you know, once you start to understand the kind of level of operation that we have and the types of organizations that we touch, you can start to understand why, you know, I take um, the the seriousness of what we do
1: um to a whole different level. Mm. It sounds like um through your just through your language that you know some shit that we don't know, right? <laughs> and is that is how do you how do you hand manage that in your own self every single day?
0: Well, you'd be surprised that I mean. Certainly on a customer-by-customer basis, the things that we see and the things that we we touch and that we are privy to is not stuff that we share. Mm. But in general, the things that we're seeing, everyone should know about. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I've been advocating for for the past 10 years at least is, you know, organisations think that they can train their staff on cybersecurity by giving them, you know, computer-based training programs to, mm. to run once a year and yeah. they tick the box and nobody pays any attention to that yeah. crap it does it's not it's not effective. everybody knows that yet they still do it yeah right and what we found is that actually if you want to engage people and the there is no regardless that I'm a security software vendor, right there is no silver bullet from a technology perspective. You know, anybody that thinks they can buy any software solution or any security application and deploy it and they are safe is completely misguided, Mm. right? It's not about that. It's about changing the way people think and act that is truly going to protect all of us, right, and truly going to be... You know, we're, we're in this era where I, I, I relate to it by saying the human firewall, right? Mm. We need to engage every human being to think and act differently about the way they carry themselves, right? So I'm not expecting everybody to not have a social media profile like mm-hmm. I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's an extreme. yeah. But when people post on social media, when they take photos that go to the cloud, right, anything that is connected to the internet is accessible at any time people need to start thinking that way right mm. so when people tell me well it's okay that i post things on facebook cuz only my friends can see it or <laughs> it's it's okay i've got a i've got controls on my instagram account right that is just the most misguided information mm. that has been planted in people's head by these social media organisations that is not true mm. for example facebook or meta whatever it's called nowadays <laughs> Uh, which owns a whole bunch of other social media platforms? They have thousands of employees, right?
2: Yeah. Well,
0: those thousands of employees, do we know what they're doing with that data?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We don't. They can access it. Well, there's been they can share it, they can leak it. There's been examples of, of thousands of examples, yeah. right? And 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 it's not examples of just people doing something with somebody's data. It's like hundreds of thousands of people's private information. Mm right getting into the wrong hands right and influencing our political system right this is it's pervasive
2: mm.
0: right and and the problem is it's not a it's it's the problem is that we're not educating individual human beings well enough about the importance of their own data their personal information right and so what we're doing for companies and organizations that are trying to educate their people we're canceling out that whole computer-based training thing and you have to protect the data of the company and you have to protect the systems of the company, it's your duty to the company and to its shareholders and its customers, that's not effective. What is effective is when we train people to protect themselves, Mm. to protect their families, to teach their kids right, to teach their parents right. That's effective because guess what? When I trained you, to think twice before you make that post, to think twice before you take that photo and put it in the cloud, right? I'm also inherently teaching you to look after your family, but inherently that comes into the office. So when you you go back to work, that's ingrained in you because you're doing it by nature, Mm. not because you're told you have to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then the more that we can do that for the next generation coming up, especially for the next generation that that's coming up, that's born with a device in their hand, that's born with all these social media platforms. And I I have to tell you, like, even though I don't operate in a social media world personally, I operate within a social media world all the time. Mm. Um, my, th- I have three kids of varying ages, right? I have a, I have an 11-year-old, I have a 17-year-old, and I have an 18-year-old, right? All the trials and tribulations yeah. that brings to the table. Yeah. Not once have I told them don't have a social media platform yeah right i ask them to think thoughtfully about what social media platforms they have and use and why yeah i let them make their own decisions about that but i'm very very careful to teach them about what they post who they share it with and where they share it and when they share it do you know what the consequences are because you might think that today it feels okay for me to take this photo and keep it in iCloud or Google Cloud or whatever cloud. Mm-hmm. But in 10 years' time, when you're not 18 anymore and you're 28, is that photo going to come back and haunt you?
2: Mm.
0: Is that post that you made going to come back and haunt you for these different reasons? People just don't think like that. Mm. No one's teaching them to think like that. Mm. Uh especially young people are in the mode of now, Mm. my life today, what makes me feel good right now, right? But those things that they do can impact them in so many different ways if they're not aware. And so we take that principle that we when we work with large government customers or large banks or large pharmaceutical companies or whatever, we're always telling them that the, the journey is not about stopping people doing things or stopping data leaking out. It's about risk appetite. Mm. Do you understand as a business what your real risk appetite is? Because everyone has to have risk. There is no business without risk. So once you understand what that risk appetite is, and it's different for every organization, no two organizations are exactly the same, no matter if they're from the same field or not. So once you understand where your risk appetite is, you say, okay, I'm drawing a line here. This is a risk I am prepared to take to do business. This is a risk I am not prepared to take to do business. Once you understand where that line is, then you can start to understand, okay, these are the types of providers I will engage with, not engage with. Mm. These are the types of customers I can support, not support. Does that kind of make sense? It does. These are the kinds of suppliers that I want working for me. Because they understand where my risk appetite is, and they're not going to tip me over that line now, if we teach human beings to behave the same way, understand what your risk appetite is right if you're if you're not risk averse at all, then post whatever you want mm-hmm. and there are some people that are just like that, right mm-hmm. like they don't care what yeah. people think it of feels them.
1: like a it's it's a tidal wave right of Mm -hmm. the amount of stuff that's getting posted do you ever Mm. feel like what you're what you're saying you're fighting a losing battle like this just seems like a runaway train where people are just posting whatever they want right now look i mean our business is not the business of
0: uh, of looking after the individual human beings and what they do online but it's
1: a personal passion where the education comes from yeah it's
0: where the education comes from and if you do that piece right then it automatically transfers into you know employees in the workplace yeah. which is which is our bread and butter is 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 serving large businesses and government agencies the ones that actually store all our personal data yeah and the intellectual property of the country right and so now you know a lot of eyes are on australia particularly because of our close proximity to china and our trade relationship with china and everybody's kind of watching to see what we do and how we manage that relationship it's a very delicate balance
2: mm.
0: right so we're really kind of at this pivotal moment where we can actually influence like i don't think there's anybody out there that that doesn't agree that cybersecurity is an important thing mm. you know maybe 3 years ago we had a big job educating people know this is serious people know it's serious mm. today what they're not, what they're needing help with and guidance with is what to do about it. Mm. And it has to be really simple, easy to understand language that we use to communicate and teach people, right? Because, you know, for from the beginning of cyber, the cyber, growth of the cybersecurity industry, we've created all this really strange language that people don't understand. Maybe it's because, you know, my predecessors wanted to, appear to be the smartest people in the room. Mm. And actually they were just creating a few words that people didn't understand. Yeah. We're now having to reverse engineer that and turn it back into easy language to understand, which is why I use the term risk. Yeah. Right. Cause everybody can understand risk mm. executives at the highest level understand what risk means to mm. them. Right. And people understand inherently what risk is. So find that risk appetite, understand where you are prepared to go and not prepared to go.
1: And then, you know, revolve your life around that there's a lot (laughs) there's so much in that and and thankfully we've got some time today to explore it i want to i want to just jump into the risk appetite element um where we know that cyber security and you said three years ago might have been a bit different story but we know cyber now is all about risk management right Mm -hmm. and we know that it's not a matter of if we're going to get hit or if we're going to get attacked, it's now a matter of when. Is that um, if it's not if it's a matter of when, then do, is there a reason to be fearful? Is there a reason to be concerned? Like we can spend as much money as we want in security and cybersecurity, but if it's if it doesn't matter, if we're still going to get hit, what 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 do we do in that instance? So fearful is the wrong response. Okay. Um,
0: concerned is the right response, concerned in a way that forces us to take some action, right? Now, what that action is can mean different things to different people, but I will back you up because you, you said people realise that it's not a matter of if but when. It's actually gone beyond that. The chance of you already being owned is extremely high. Mm. When you mean when you mean when you say owned, meaning somebody has access to one of your devices, somebody has access to your email system, somebody has access to something digitally that you use on your in your everyday life. Um, so criminals have gone from what we call opportunistic attacks to like kind of spray and pray, we call it, right, where they just blast out a whole bunch of stuff to see what comes back, see who clicks on something, see who responds to an SMS, see who you know engages positively or negatively because it's that engagement that triggers them to be able to put malware on your device mm. or something. I'm just using one, one simple example. And whether it's a business, whether it's a government agency, whether it's a, somebody's personal um, access, it's so pervasive these days that the criminals have gone from being opportunistic to being very clever and targeted about how they do things. And so many of many people that are just not familiar with how to kind of that risk appetite and not to do certain things, they already have, have been infected. Mm. You know, many of our devices, let's say there's 10 people in this room, you know, at least two of them, Will have some malware sitting on their device somewhere, whether it's their laptop, whether it's their personal mobile device, whether it's something else, right? And and the criminals are getting more patient, right? Because they know that we're getting smarter about how we how we detect and how we respond to things. So they're trying to stay in the background and they're trying to wait for the opportune time to turn to we call it weaponize to weaponize that bit of malware that's sitting there doing nothing that you don't even notice is there mm. until they do something. With How it. do they get it there? Like what, what's the? There's, there's tons of ways that yeah. they can get it there. So the, you know, in the in the indus, in in the kind of um, enterprise security space, um, many many people are uh, familiar with the term phishing mm-hmm. with a PH, not an F, yeah. Yeah. right? Which is you know, and again, we call it like the early days of phishing was spray and pray mm. where they would send out these phishing emails to millions of people randomly and just see who cl- clicks on the link. Mm. And you only need 0.1% to click on that link for mm. you to infect them, right? And in a and this is happening all the time now, not just for businesses and governments but also for individuals where where they turn that into a ransomware attack where they can lock your device or lock the entire company's hardware systems Mm -hmm. and say, you will pay me a ransom if you want it to be unlocked. And lots of organizations that didn't have their basic fundamental backups, processes in place, that they were locked down. Mm. There's examples, there's local examples here in Adelaide of companies, you know, big companies Mm. doing billions of dollars worth of transactions That got their systems locked up and had no idea how to back out from that situation, no idea how to continue serving their customers on a daily basis, and were in disaster mode, like emergency businesses going under mode after having been around and very comfortable and very profitable for decades.
1: So it happens. And it's now happening to individuals. So so what in that scenario, what happened? How did how'd they get out of it? It's <laughs> just out of curiosity. So without <laughs>
0: mentioning any names, no. this, this one organisation and and the, the CEO is, you know, a real advocate now for cyber security because she didn't really understand it that well uh, until this happened to her and now she's out there talking behind closed doors to other organisations to yeah. say, this is what happened to us, it can happen to you. Mm. You know, here's how we recovered from it and for, for, for her – she was quite lucky because what she had to do was she had to um she had to go and speak to literally get on the phone to ex employees who had you know over time left the business, but that built her technology stack mm. and she had to go back to them and say, "I don't know how to undo this i don't i'm gonna have to either pay the ransom, which we can't afford to do, and I don't want to." you know, um, give the criminals a win because that means they'll do it more often Mm. because they got a win out of it. So I don't want to go down that track. So therefore, the only way I can get out of this is to rebuild my IT from scratch. And I don't have people in my business today that know how to build those systems because they were built by other people who are now working for other employers. Mm. She had to personally call each one of them and say, would you come and help us for the next seven days? I'm asking you for a massive favor, right? And I'll sort it out with your employer. Like, can you talk? And literally all of those people came back and they slept in the office seven days. They rebuilt the IT infrastructure from scratch. Yeah. Well, Imagine that. That I mean, that is
1: that's sickening. That is I, sickening. I've actually like feel ill.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah. And 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 that's not an insignificantly sized business, no. right? That's hundreds of employees serving thousands of customers across Australia. So you can you can imagine what goes through the minds of the board of
1: directors, and yeah. shareholders, and the CEO. Well, that's it it's a very good point when we talk about boards, right? Like a, a very good friend of mine, uh, Connor O'Rourke. His name is. He's been on this podcast a few times, well, once, and uh we've been brought up a few times, but he. He runs a IT firm that specializes. They do a lot of work in the cybersecurity space. And I said to him, I've got Mo coming on tomorrow. Throw it like, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Because he knows the subject better than most. And he said... I'm just quoting him. He goes, I'm DISP certified. I've got ISO or 27001 certified and ASD Essential 8 mature. Yeah, I still worry about getting cyber attacked every single day. And he said if boards aren't talking about this at every board meeting, then there's an absolute a r- real s- threat that they will not be around in five years' time. Mm-hmm. Do you support that? Uh, it's unquestionable. Un- so how – so if I'm if if we're saying they might not be around in 5 years time with this scenario that you've just given they will manage to get out of it right is that not just the option that they just have to go through a lot of shit to get out of it or is, w- w- what does it mean when no, we say I mean, someone won't be around how does that work
0: Look so so <clears throat> it's there's a false misconception and look I, I will say um boards in Australia have matured in their thinking towards this a lot. Yeah. Right? So I would I would say definitely from an ASX100 perspective, my guess would be at least 50% of those boards will be across this to a certain degree. Now, they understand the extent of the problem. They understand how much it can impact their business. Yes, tick in the box. The question is how much they understand about what to do about it. Mm. And there's still a misconception that you can buy tools and hire people and you will have ticked a box to solve that problem and protect the business. That's not true. And that's coming from a vendor that sells these products. Yeah. Right? It's it's about having a preparedness plan. Mm. That's what this is about. Right? Um. So when I say a preparedness plan, it's, it's not am I going to get attacked? Yes, you are going to get attacked. It's how quickly I can respond and, and how prepared I am to make the right response, right? So what we're talking about is a communication strategy. Mm-hmm. So when we get hit, of course, we've got the, the, the technical means to recover from the hit, right? That's, that's for sure you've got to have that. But that's just a very small part of the challenge. Communication is probably the biggest challenge, mm. right? It's do we have the right people in our business that know how to respond to, A, our employees, to give them the comfort and 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 know that we are on top of this and we need your help to do this, that, and the other because it's everyone's responsibility at that point in time. Does our CEO know how to interact with our shareholders our customers how quickly do we react to be able to notify our shareholders and our customers you know the regulators uh, the australian government the acsc mm. the earlier you can involve them in the most seemingly smallest of incidents is to your benefit mm. the later you involve them it is to your detriment right like cuz if it's a something that you think is pretty simple, but it turns out to be pretty significant, yeah. then you're in deep shit. Yeah. Right. But if it's if it's if it's if it's simple, they can just tell you, no, you don't have to be as concerned about this as you yeah. think you
1: are. It's the constant reiteration, yep. right? Yeah. Front of front of mind. Front of mind. So like in, in all that, I mean you've given some really good examples and and ideas that boards can be talking about. But what what about smaller Companies mm-hmm. in this, like I, I run a business that's got twenty odd people mm-hmm. compared to an ASX business. I mm-hmm. don't have the security, yep, IT people sitting in my business. I, I use another company. But it, what, what can what can the smaller businesses do in these scenarios? Yeah, so I go back
0: to the the, the point that we were discussing earlier, which is it's about the human firewall, mm-hmm. right? It's about making sure that each and every one of the people that touches your business, not just your employees but your supply chain too because, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so anybody that's touching your business, are they as individual human beings as protected for themselves as they can be? Mm -hmm. Are they they aware of the things that they do on on a day-to-day basis Are they aware of the consequences of not getting it right, Mm. of not thinking twice before you click on something, of not thinking twice before you send something, of not thinking twice before you send something up to Dropbox and and share it with a third party without protecting that link, Mm. right? These are all ways that criminals are looking at to try and take advantage of an individual to then take advantage of a a of an organization Mm. and then to use that organization to take advantage of other organizations that they do business with because that's how it works, right? Mm. The supply chain, you know, today, you know, criminals are smarter than they used to be where they would, if they're targeting company A for whatever reason, whether it's to steal intellectual property or get access to some customer record or whatever the case may be, if they're targeting Company A, five years ago, they would just go straight after Company A and they might do some socially engin- social engineering around some of your employees to get into your systems. Today they know that's too hard because Company A knows they're a target and they've put up all these defences and they've trained their people. I'm going to go after Company B, which is a tiny little supplier mm. that serves Company A because I can get onto their systems and then navigate sideways to get into that organization. Yeah, well. And that's that's where this gets
1: more difficult. So Is that how the government recently – because I know there's been some recent issues with go- within government. Yeah, right? constant,
0: constantly. Yeah, you know,
1: there's ones that we hear about in the
0: news, and yeah. there's lots that we don't hear about, yeah, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. that's not just our government; that's every government, yeah. right? And you know, we spoke about fishing before, right? Like the the spray and pray type attacks.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, not many people are aware that those opportunistic spray and prey attacks have become much more targeted and we call that spear phishing, mm-hmm. right? It's exactly what it sounds like, right? Mm. It's now a much more targeted approach mm-hmm. where a spray and pray phishing attack before was just a randomly worded email that you can tell straight away that this is not yeah. for me. This yeah. is a, a random kind of a thing, even though some people clicked
2: on Still it,
1: Still click right? on it,
0: yeah. Today, it's an email to Daniel Franco from Mo, mm. that looks exactly like the way I normally type, mm. using exactly the same abbreviations that I normally use, with my exact email signature about a topic that you and I are conversing about, mm. but it's not from me. Mm. That's scary. Yeah,
1: it's just you always check the email at email address, don't you?
0: Yep, but but today they're pretty clever. They can yeah. mask that too,
1: mm. right? So
0: it's you know there's certain situations that even the most adept like you know i've been doing this for 20, 23 years now right i can be fooled by that i mm. have been fooled before mm. by well, it's complacency isn't it? yeah. it's it's com- it's not just complacently complacency because now some of them are getting so good right that but, you just can't tell Yeah, you look like it's the chance of them succeeding is so high mm. that we're like sitting ducks mm. So that's where the systems and processes that follow, and the response plan, the preparedness strategy, have to be very good because we are going to get there. we are going to get
1: that situation. It's a lot to think about. Going back to the training of the individual people, there's this. The, the, I hear words like zero trust approach getting mm-hmm. thrown around. Can you can you elaborate on that for us if you can? Yeah. So
0: the the zero trust approach is is literally. I really don't like the term mm. because, you know, the the whole thing that we're trying to influence is trust, mm. right? Like the, the more trust you can build inside an organization and with people that you do business with, inherently you're going to get better engagement and therefore they are going to have a sense of responsibility mm. to the organization. And so we try to build trust. However, zero trust has been uh, is a is another new term that the cybersecurity industry has put out there and what it effectively means is you know don't trust anybody unless you have to mm-hmm. and then you start to work out from there and you start to open up systems from there it also it refers to the fact that we know that we've been owned mm. so now respond from that mindset so you you know how you said it's not a matter of uh, if, if yeah. it's when yep. zero trust is all about take it from the perspective that we are owned right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now what do we do? Yeah. They're inside. They they they're within our organization. They have infiltrated. They are here. So now what? Mm. Does that kind of make sense? It
1: does. It it seems a lot though, right? It seems a, um I mean it it's, it's it's a really good option for businesses to think that way because it means they're thinking front and centre. They're thinking a few steps ahead. They're playing the game of chess, right? But for those who don't have the knowledge and who are of smaller business, that and approach… And don't have that risk. I uh, have a completely different risk profile yeah. and risk appetite. Absolutely. Yeah. It becomes becomes quite difficult. So I sit here as a leader of a business going, wow, there's so much I need to do, but I, I just don't have the time, the money, the power, the influence or whatever it is to to do that. Yep. Um, what can, uh, what are the most basic essentials that you, from a health point of view, from a business, what that, especially small business or, you know, medium, you know, a lot of non-for-profits that listen in that sort of space. Yep. What, are? what can we do at that level to just ensure the basics are covered? Sure. So
0: um you mentioned before a mate of yours that that um has an IT company that's yeah. that that's doing some cybersecurity stuff and and he mentioned to you essential eight yeah so essential eight is a great spot to start mm-hmm. it is about the basics it's about hygiene mm-hmm. right so everyone should know and understand what the essential eight is mm-hmm. and start to build that as their foundation it's by no means you do the essential eight, and then you're done. Yeah, right. That's just the basic foundation. So is it
1: is that something you can quickly just sort of jot through?
0: Well, look for an for example, basic patching. Yeah. Right. So making sure that you're you're and in a, a small organization of 20 people, mm. you're probably not going to have centralized IT systems mm. today. Everyone's just you buy them a laptop. Yeah. You give them Wi-Fi access, and they're off to the races. Right. Yeah. Um, And that's pretty much, you know, that's the SaaS world that we live in, right? We're all running SaaS applications, so on and so forth. But there's, you know, in those sorts of scenarios, right, um, it's important that, again, your staff are that human firewall and they're thinking through these things. Mm -hmm. They understand the basics that need to be done like patching, right? Keep our applications and the software that we're using, keep it up to date Mm -hmm. because the older... um, the longer a piece of software code has been sitting there, the more vulnerable it is because it's given the bad guys a chance to reverse engineer some of that and get some code in there, okay. right? So so the, that's just one example. Yeah. So the hygiene of basic patching is something that lots of organizations, especially small, medium businesses, just don't do. Yeah. Because unlike, say, so in my company, we have a centralized security team and they push patches out to us. So we don't even have a chance to not patch because yeah. it has to be patched. Yeah. In small, medium organisations, you don't have that. So that I go back again to the most important thing is getting people to think for themselves and practise their own basic hygiene from a digital perspective because then it's automatic that they do that for everything they touch in the business. Mm. Does that make sense?
1: It does. You know, one thing that's always um, really interests me is the – it's the companies like yours, which are cybersecurity experts, the people within them <laughs> who understand, I know integrity comes into this, right, this question mm. what I'm about to ask, but the people who are in them understand all the loopholes for some of these biggest businesses. So you talk about Facebook and that giving people's data away. Is that not something that is of concern to security companies course as it well? is. Of course it is. Um so how do you go about mitigating that? How do we know that s- security companies are doing the right thing by their the companies that they
0: Yeah and look it, it's it's a difficult one right mm. but you know this is where reputation becomes everything yeah right which is which is why for me I'm personally extremely risk averse in the digital world mm. like I take a lot of risks in my personal life because yeah, yeah. I like to have fun and Jump do things. Jump out the plane, right? that's yeah. fine. right? Yeah, <laughs> right. But when it comes to the way we operate our business, I'm extremely risk averse. Um, in the security industry, you know, you would assume that uh, they eat their own dog food or drink their own Kool-Aid or yeah. however, whatever yeah. term you want to use. Yeah. Um, but not all of them do. Mm. Right. So, you know, for us, because of the types of 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 organizations we partner with, um, we have to be whiter than white and we have to be very clear about who we do and don't do business with. Mm. So there's many, many organizations that come to us for help that we actually will turn away because they don't fit the profile of our risk appetite. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, which is why for us we only deal with Five Eyes headquartered organizations, or on occasion, um, organizations that operate within friends of the Five Eyes. Okay. Right. And and that's by design. Uh, and now that, that doesn't mean to say that you know if you're we're only employing people from those organizations that they're all going to be good people and they're not going to do anything wrong. No, by no means at all. Mm. Right. You. It, it is one way of de-risking the organisation because within the five eyes we can, we have a better idea of an understanding of who these people are, what their backgrounds are. Um, but we do drink our own Kool-Aid, yeah. right? So um, at my company we use our own technology internally. We, we everything that our customers use us for, we do that internally and we are our own, you know, yeah. test case.
1: I, I'm i not questioning the integrity of of. of your company and whatnot, it's more about there's, the individual. I always think about the individual. I mm-hmm. think the person who's creating these hacks and phishing schemes absolutely know the cybersecurity world yep. better than anyone. So it typically might be mm-hmm. someone who's actually on the inside, you know, but we could go down a rabbit hole in that space. I am really interested in just more so the the um, the common mistakes that companies might make. Mm-hmm. Like is there a sort of really two or three that might come to mind? I mean, you could t- we could talk common, there'd be hundreds, right? But is there two or three that come to mind every single time when we talk about the common mistakes that we see? Yes. So the number one thing that pops
0: out when you ask me that question is compliance,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? So uh, I would just call it for what it is, mm-hmm. right? In our country, uh, energy companies are grossly behind the curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, And sometimes the regulation, which is meant to kind of drive these organizations to a certain standard, Mm -hmm. have completely failed in the approach. Because what they've done is they've created a checkbox exercise to say, if you check these boxes, then you are good. Mm. But those checkboxes are so outdated. (laughs) And all of those, all, all those regulators have done for the industry is teach those industries that I don't care about anything else. If I've checked those boxes, we're good, we go forward. Yeah. And I'm going to take Monkeys the minimum monies. steps mm. that's required to check those boxes and not spend a cent more than I have to to check those boxes. Mm. And guess what? It's those organisations that are our utilities, that serve us our electricity, that serve us our, wa- serve us our water that handle our sewage systems, that, you know, these are organisations that one thing goes wrong, right? We're all in trouble. And it it disrupts the entire safety and security of the entire citizen population. Mm. I'll give you one example. Um, Florida Water Treatment Plant. Mm -hmm. Some people have heard of this, others haven't, but it's a publicly available story someone was able to hack into the florida water treatment plant and they were attempting to change the concentration of some type of uh i don't know the the exact details but yeah. some type of mixture like they treat the water yeah. with different chemicals and certain things to you know make sure that there's no bacteria and so on and so forth but they changed the ph levels to a level that it would be toxic for human consumption mm. And the only way that this was stopped was someone happened to be walking past a computer screen, and at the point that they were walking past that computer screen, they saw the mouse moving the without screen. someone sitting at the desktop. Yeah, wow. And they went, "Oh, that's weird. How's that? How's that mouse moving around?" And they called it. It checked it out. They found out they'd been hacked. Now that individual, if Would have got away with it. Yeah. Now, the only thing that's stopping that from happening anywhere else to any other utility, power can be shut down overnight. I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. Right? Power, water. Two basic things that Mm. humans nowadays can't live without. Right? We are so vulnerable and the only thing that's stopping an attack like that happening is motivation. It's the only thing. There are criminal g- groups out there, terrorist groups out there, nation state actors out there that already know how to compromise those systems and could do it right now mm. if they so have the motivation to do so. And yet our utilities and energy companies are so far behind the eight wall, and it's not their fault. Mm. It's the regulator who is so outdated and not up to speed with the requirements
1: of modern day. It seems like the uh, the regulator just sends out those constant patches that you're talking about um, in updating their their information. We did a I used to work in a utility, and um, we did we here at Synergy IQ did a big program with uh, with a certain utility. And, and one thing that I remember was part of the dialogue when we when we worked w- with them was let's like it's SA water here in South Australia, and we. We uh, we talked about the purpose of the business as a health regulator, right? Like because at any point the water sy- the water system can get infiltrated, and not only that, the sewer right mm-hmm. stops disease. So it's about keeping people and keeping the community healthy. And yeah, it, at any point you could infect thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people mm-hmm. from one push of a button potentially, right? Mm-hmm. So. That's scary. You talked about um, an example from a utility perspective. Could you share that with us as well? You mentioned the power example. So here in South
0: Australia, we have the highest penetration of rooftop solar of anywhere in the world per capita.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: A lot of people don't know that, yeah, kudos right? To so to South kudos to South <laughs> Australia. Big, big mission, and we've and we've gotten there. But cybersecurity is often an afterthought. Mm. And it's the responsibility of the manufacturers and the energy providers to make sure that we're protected. Are we? Mm. So I'm I have a Tesla battery.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm connected to the smart grid. I'm feeding into the smart grid all the time. Every day. And has anybody come to check the security of my home internet that's connecting? My Tesla battery to the smart grid? Nope. Does anybody know how easy it is to get into my home Wi-Fi even though I'm pretty good at what I do? Mm. It's easy. Mm. There's like hundreds of people in South Australia that know how to hack my Wi-Fi today. Guaranteed. Right? From from outside the front of your house. Yep. Yeah. And so, and there's other ways they can do it as well without being in front of my house. Mm. But so the point is the only thing that's stopping that is motivation. Now, to shut down the grid is not that difficult to do if you can get access to the to people's, you know, homes like that mm. because all you need to do is to take all of the battery, that, all of the power that's stored in all of those batteries in our houses and dump it to the grid all at the same time. That's all you have to do. What it would bring the grid crashing down.
1: I feel like you're giving ideas to the people out there. No, they why? already have those ideas. Yeah, but why? They already know. But wouldn't they get caught? Is that where, is that where the mo- lack of motivation comes from, the simple fact that they could do it but they're just going to get caught?
0: That's the perception. Hmm. There's some pretty clever, smart folks
1: out there that know how to cover their tracks as well. And would would it be the motivation be just a damage? It wouldn't be a mo- financial motivation thing, would it?
0: Well who
1: knows yeah who who actually knows yeah, could okay. be politically
0: motivated could be financially motivated could be disgruntlement could be you know humans are strange cats mm. right if you look at if you look at the you know terrible example but if you look at the 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 um single shooter incidents that happen in the yeah. US and the volume of these that are happening today mm. one incident the individual we should have detected it over weeks and months from the things that they've been posting online. Yeah. And yet they still go and do it. And another individual you would never have guessed. Mm. Right? So there's there's humans are different. Like yeah. weird, they do strange things. There's sometimes not the the patterns of you behavior that yeah. you just can't yep. you can't see it that way, right? And so so again, preparedness is important, mm. right? How you respond. So of course, how you detect, how you defend how you respond, those are the things that we need to be cognizant about.
1: We were we're touching on the power and I I remember last time we spoke that really um, caught my interest was um, an external country owning our power utility here. (laughs) (laughs) Not just our power, like a lot
0: of our most sensitive critical infrastructure entities
1: are foreign-owned. Is that a concern? <laughs> what do you think? Why is it such a concern, do you believe? And, and and is there a way that we can wrangle it back? Well, look, that's probably more of a
0: question for ASIO mm-hmm. and, and, and ASD. But, look, it does make me personally extremely uncomfortable mm. that we have ports that are owned by foreign- entities we have power in companies shipping ports you're saying sh- shipping yeah. ports yeah. we have um, power companies we have other types of utilities um that in times of geopolitical harmony doesn't make a difference mm. in times of discord
1: that's a bad yeah. situation feels like Where the pawns on a chessboard, right? Yeah, we are
0: if we choose to be Mm. and previous governments have allowed that to happen for whatever reason and I'm sure they had good reasons at the time but it certainly seems absurd to me that we would ever allow that to happen again.
1: Are you suggesting that some of these uh, countries that do own – these spe- uh, specific businesses and organisations and ports and utilities, are you suggesting that they're playing the long game here? It's, it's, like, it's basic geopolitical strategy. Yeah, I mean, it's just look at history. It is. Mm. So, what can we do to not be put into checkmate? Well, I think we again.
0: We need to uplift everybody's awareness. Mm-hmm. We need to uplift everyone's understanding of what matters. And, you, you know, there's the 4S principle. Mm-hmm. See something, say something. Mm-hmm. Right? If we can teach all Australians to do that, then we as a country are as safe as we could ever be right, because that's the best thing you're ever going to get, right? It doesn't matter about what technology you've got and and how many security engineers we've got and how many security companies we've got protecting us. What really matters is the citizens. That's what matters, Mm. right? And the more people that will see something and say something, the more alert we are going to be to these things, Mm. right? And so, you know, that's why I, even though we're focused on enterprise and protecting businesses and governments and things like that, it always comes back to the people. People mm. are at the center of everything. And if you and and unfortunately the cybersecurity industry has left the people part of it to last. Yeah. Right? They've they've left that to last. But if you're if you're focused on the technology problem, you are only solving for symptoms. And you're to use a, a US terminology, you're playing whack-a-mole. You know, there's always going to yeah. be symptoms that you're trying to whack down and more are appearing. But if you go back to the root cause And you solve for root cause, which is always human behaviour, which is the most difficult thing to solve. And that's what our business has been really, really focused on Mm. is is understanding the human, engaging the human in a positive way, in a positively impacted way, that they then become that human firewall for the business, for the government, for the country, for the planet. Then that's the best possible position, the best possible outcome.
1: I love I love the slogan of your business which is you know the difference is human and you talk a lot about the the human behavior is there um and and we have spoken about it and it seems like we just always end up back here it, it all starts with the individual um we we touched on the social media aspects we touched on um every individual just being curious right and obviously the forest principle what about those who are looking to build and promote themselves through a marketing point of view, the social influences, the where it's a legitimate business for mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. to constantly grow. Uh, we as a business use our social media channels to help promote. Yep. Um, what's the what's your idea from a marketing perspective of how businesses could be a little bit more conscious with some of the stuff that they're putting out there?
0: Um, I, I think it's I think it's less about the business aspect of social media and much more about the personal aspect, okay. right? Like, cause people are pretty thoughtful when they're running a business on social media. They're pretty thoughtful yeah. about what they put out there because yeah. they have this perceived thing as my, the reputation of the business is important. So I, I'm going to be, I'm going to think twice before okay. I post that thing. But when they're just doing it, like snapping things on their day to day basis of, what they're doing with their kids on the weekend or, you know, what they think about a political statement or whatever, right? Like they they just tend to shoot from the hip
1: when mm. it comes to personal posting. And they could make an error of judgment. Is that what you're concerned? Yeah, about?
0: or could put something out there that makes them a target,
1: mm.
0: right? Or put something out there that can be used against them,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Like Like never underestimate... The nefariousness of the bad guys—they mm. do not care about how it, what they do affects your life.
2: Mm.
0: You, you've seen like NDIS scams and and like people ripping, like blatantly rip, ripping off disabled people that need the NDIS to survive. They scam their money. Like they don't. Mm. They don't care, mm. right? And if you put something out there. That exposes you in a way that they can take advantage of that and, and and use it to coerce you into doing something for their personal benefit. They will, mm. and so people don't think of that. What right? are,
1: What are those scenarios though? Like that you would. I mean, you're well, not on social media to see it, but what are, you uh, well, would there's, obviously there's know. There's lots. There's yeah. lots.
0: Right. So think about it from a a, a social engineering
1: perspective.
0: Mm. Right. Like so. Um, People that are really easy to socially engineer are those that have instability in their lives, Mm. whether that be, I don't know, financial instability, whether that be a gambling problem or some kind of an addiction or, you know, if they're having extramarital situations, you you get the picture, right? Like anything that I can use against you that's going to embarrass you or, you know, make you uncomfortable and you don't want to go through that, so you'd rather just pay these guys and shut them up or go and steal this bit of information from your company and give it to them as a once-off so they go away and leave you alone or, you know, if you're in a financially difficult situation, right, super easy for rather than for me to hack your company if you work for this big telco or this big bank, right, much easier for me to be able to pay you a grand a month just to slip me a bit of information or stick this USB in a drive or whatever the case may be than for me to have a whole team of hackers trying to break through mm. firewalls
1: and et cetera, et cetera, and, and infect the company. Yeah, wow. Right? So that's actually just another whole interesting point that, that yep. people's uh, businesses and their employees could have been infiltrated through another means. Happens all the time. Mm. Happens all the time. So we – we have seen
0: situations where we're working for let's call it a big telco in the UK and we actually caught an individual inside that company a trusted insider in that organization that was that was taking sensitive data about a so they were a, a cell station engineer right and how we caught them was every time their line manager would send them a task to do, they would actually Google how to do that task. So they didn't actually know how to do their job, and yet they were in this very serious position Mm. where they had access to very sensitive data. (laughs) And when we reported that back to the company and said, this is unusual, right? Unusual number of Google searches around this specific engineering topic has led us to... What is this person doing? Okay, when we reported that to the CIO, went to the CIO, he checked out who is this individual. Oh, he's not an employee. He's a contractor. But it's okay. He's contracted by this big contracting organization that we use for all of our contractors. So should be fine. Goes and talks to the CIO of that contractor firm. Oh, he's not our employee. He's a contractor. So contractor of another contractor. Yeah, wow. Right? And then the third hop. We look into it, it's a retail store that doesn't exist that he's actually employed by. That's very strange. When did he start working for the contractor A, contractor B, and then contractor C? 18 months was the period at which he had worked to be planted inside our customer organisation to get access to the data he now has access to. So that's that's what that's I'm talking about. Game. That's the long game. Now, We consider that to be the long
1: game. And getting paid for it the whole way. (laughs) And getting paid for it the whole way,
0: right? Yeah. Um, And we consider that to be a long game, 18 months, and and navigating your way through those hoops to get to there. But the longer game is being played by nation states Mm. where they're thinking 20, 30 years from now where they can have advantages over Australia and our allies in terms of intellectual property that they can harvest right now that will put them way ahead of the game, you know, 10 years from now, mm. right, when you're talking about AI and machine learning algorithms, when you're talking about all kinds of these future technologies, space, nuclear. Now you kind of
1: see what we're talking about, about yeah. the long game and the seriousness of the what situation. Is, what is what is. What... So there's so much. Oh my God! There's so much in that one thing alone. And you want to go back to the the person who infiltrated the company, right? So if, I think the take the key takeaway from that would clearly be do your checks and balances, right? Like mm-hmm. make sure you're checking mm-hmm. out your contractors, the subbies, hundred percent. That's your supply chain. And, and, your, and here's
0: so this is there's a, a project that we're doing at the moment, which is really really exciting. Actually, it's called continuous vetting, mm-hmm. right? So. You must be familiar with, for for anyone who works for Mm
2: defence,
0: they have to be cleared, right? So, you know, the clearance process is difficult, right? So if you want to go and work for a big defence contractor or for the Australian Department of Defence, you have to get a clearance. Mm -hmm. Different levels of clearance, obviously. But even the basic level of clearance, there's a lot of scrutiny that happens. They do all these massive background checks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes 12 months, 18 months to go through that clearance process. But then, what happens once they're cleared and they're employed?
1: Just goes back, BAU,
0: isn't it? BAU, yeah. right. We trust them; they're good to go. Yeah, right. And maybe every couple of years, there's a check-in point.
1: But there's a cycle of employees. At exactly. The time.
0: Yeah. Now, here's the thing about bad insiders: they weren't always bad, mm. right? Even if a bad insider or an, what we call as an insider threat, they most of those were good people that have just made bad choices. Mm. And that bad choice doesn't come before they were employed. It comes after, by and large. Mm. you know. And people make bad choices for all kinds of reasons. They're inherently good. Of course, there's some people that are inherently bad, but they are so few and far between. Mm. By and large, people are good. They just make bad choices. So what we're all about, is trying to minimize the environment where people make bad choices, right, by influencing good behavior based on the fact that our employees feel trusted, respected, protected, and valued. Because when you've got those four things inherently as a human being, you feel happy. You yeah. feel good about what you do. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, you're – emanating positive energy around yeah. you, right, it, it, it's very hard for that negativity to take hold. Does that kind of make uh, sense? I'm, I'm talking aspirationally. No, well,
1: I think what, what I'm hearing. So what were those four again? That was protected. Trusted. Trusted. Respected, protected, and valued. And valued. Those are the four things. And so effectively what I'm hearing is that is the – the genetic makeup of an extremely good culture, exactly within a business, culture so, is everything. So was, that was going to be my next question: is how important is the culture of a business in protecting itself? It's the number one most important thing. Brilliant. You can do away
0: with every other every security tool that you've got. You can do away with all of that crap. If you have a culture that feels trusted, respected, protected, and
1: valued, you are going to be the most secure you could ever be. Can you elaborate on how do companies i mean this is what we help companies get to, right? Mm-hmm. but can you elaborate on the, the 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 level of thinking from a leadership point of view uh, around your your comment right then? Well, I mean look there's
0: particularly after the start of the pandemic there there was this thought that now that all my workers have gone home and they're working from home, I've lost control. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I've lost visibility and I feel nervous about that. What are they doing? Are they actually working? Mm. Are they, have they become a risk? Have they become an insider threat to me? Right. And the knee jerk reaction by a lot of employees was surveillance, Mm. completely the wrong approach. Because if your people weren't feeling alienated before, yep. once you take that surveillance approach, mm-hmm. they will definitely feel alienated then. Yeah. And guess what you're doing? You're creating that feeling of discontent and discord Yeah. and the the exact thing that you
1: don't want to happen is going to happen yep. because you've now put people in an uncomfortable position. And now they're thinking, well, I don't really care what happens because I'm, I'm I don't want to work here anyway. Exactly. Right? Or… Yeah, this is none of my concern or, you know, stuff head office, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's common. It's so common.
0: And guess what? When you're thinking that at that point in time and you get approached by someone externally that says, I know exactly how you feel, Mm. right, here's an opportunity for you to fight back, Mm. right, and make some money at the same time. At that point in time, aren't you more inclined to go,
1: hell yeah, why not? Yeah. Right. Well, it's well. You'd hope not, right? You'd hope not, <laughs> but unfortunately, that's but, the situation. We're dealing with the masses here, aren't we? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reason why I ask the culture question is that because you're right. Like, if you're, we we often talk about being inspired and being fulfilled and feeling safe. Um, uh, is is critical to to the success of a company. If you're not feeling those things then you're more likely to do things that are go against the grain, yep. that go against the values of the company, Correct. that go against the vision and the mission of the company uh, for your own benefit. Yep. Um, so a, a shout-out to CEOs who are listening in and leaders of companies listening in. When it comes to cybersecurity, you're saying culture is number one. Number one.
0: Absolutely, unquestionably number one. And I will say I'm extremely proud of – Australia's ability to take that concept all the way to the bank, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: right? Because interestingly, and this is a bit of a gross generalization, but interestingly from a technology perspective, put aside cybersecurity for a minute, from a technology perspective, Australia has always been a little bit behind the curve, Mm -hmm. right? Because by and large, again, gross generalization, by, by and large it's true though new technologies get invented on the West coast of the U S Silicon Valley has been the hub globally of where that stuff gets invented. And then over time, those technologies get adopted across the U S and about a year later, New York and DC comes online with those technologies. And then about a year later, it makes its way around to London and then across Europe. Mm -hmm. And then by the time it drops down to Asia Pacific and Australia we're three years behind, Mm. right? That, that is a, in cybersecurity, three years behind is a lifetime. <laughs> like you, you're not even up to speed. No. So, what I'm really you're still proud on
1: the Atari, <laughs> yeah, right,
0: exactly. And so, what I'm really proud about is over the last sort of six years or so, Australia has leapfrogged mm. everyone else because we recognised early on, and this is this is a big shout out to you know our government and you know industry organisations that. We've grasped that. We've gone, we, we are behind and we can no longer afford to be behind. We're going to get behind this mission of cybersecurity and we're going to make Australia, you know, this is a national security initiative that we must get right. And over the last six years, which is a relatively short time to change that trend of always being behind the curve, we've actually been able to jump through education, engagement, collaboration, we've actually been able to move that needle forward to the point now that I would say, Australian organizations get that cultural thing much better than a lot of US companies and a lot of European companies that are still struggling and go down that surveillance route and kind of take that intrusive approach of deploying something that's really spooky where they're even kind of looking at videos of people and logging all their keystrokes and what a terrible, terrible approach Mm. to try and drive efficiency. You are going to completely destroy your business over the medium to long term. And Australian organizations have really kind of taken that on board and said, okay,
1: let's yeah. do this the right way. And I want, I want everyone listening to know that they're not just going to destroy their business from the point of view of cybersecurity, yeah. right? It is just you cannot command and control. Yeah. It is not the way in which we work anymore. There, um, people are, are more connected to purpose They're connected to coming in to work every day and feeling like a valued member of a community or a business or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And Um, we've actually already seen that in the US with the Great Resignation. Yeah, correct.
0: Right? People don't want to work for companies that don't have that principle, that Mm. are inherently doing terrible things and managing their people in a terrible way. And the thing is, person A is not the same as person B Mm. and will never be the same as person A and B. And you don't want to develop robots. Mm. That's not what we want. You know the the best way to drive people as an asset, not a liability, is to respect that you're an individual, and as an individual, you have your own personality. You have your own ways of working. Let's encourage that.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's there's when when the culture is in check, then there is less things that can go wrong. Yeah, in regards mm. to. Mm cybersecurity. Yep. For example. Yep. I am conscious of your time. I know that um you've got to shoot off shortly. I do want to I do want to ask you, because you've you've got a few um sort of really strong opinions around, you know, current state, the nation security, all the above. I I, I wanna just pick your brain. Do you fear for the position of Australia moving forward? No,
0: I don't actually. I'm really encouraged by the last couple of years and, you know, I moved back to Australia just pre the pandemic and what a good move. I'm so glad I did. Yeah. Um, But I'm really, really encouraged by the way that we are taking a bit of a leadership position a thought leadership position, and being able to mobilize quickly as a country. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the difference is that Australia, while it's a big geography, right, like it's a big landmass, it's actually quite small in terms of the number of people when you compare it to the likes of Europe and the US, right, or even just UK Mm -hmm. and the US, for example. And so what it means is we can actually put our arms around the problem And we can actually get people in a room pretty easily Mm. and actually have the conversation and say, okay, what are we going to do to shift the dial? And we're doing that like, you know, industry organizations, academic organizations, government organizations, we're all getting together and we're sharing ideas, we're sharing thoughts and we're saying, let's not just have a talk fest here. Mm. Let's actually deliver projects and programs of work that are going to shift the needle forward. And let's come together and pool our resources and our knowledge and our and our our technologies and our thinking to further the mission together because we are all on the same mission. And that's starting to really resonate. And it's that collaboration piece that is really moving the dial. And other other countries like the US, while they have that mindset to want to do that, it's such a bigger Uh. ship to steer. And even just in government, you've got all these different agencies that mm. have their own ways of thinking, their own kind of initiatives that they're working to to get them together to collaborate. Like we do here, is very difficult to do. No,
1: you almost want to pick up America, turn it upside down, <laughs> shake it about, and start all <laughs> over again, don't you? In some ways, because oh, look as successful they've been. It just seems so dis- it, It's because it's because of the the po- sheer population, yeah. right? Like you,
0: it's you know we we have that advantage here that we don't have that 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 behemoth to manage mm. right it's still there's still work to be done it's still you know there's still politics to navigate and all that stuff but it's 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 feasible to put your arms around it and move it forward
1: and we are doing that so looking forward it's your in your opinion with the current approach and the current desire to improve and put our arms around the problem and work together, that we're going to be in a pretty good position here in Australia.
0: Yeah. We yeah. Are, look, we are, we are in a good position here in Australia and I, I guess the takeaway for any of the business leaders out there is stop thinking about what you're going to do from a tooling perspective per se to protect your business and start thinking about a programmatic approach to it and most importantly think about your preparedness plan. Right? Yeah. Like, you know, when the incident happens, whatever the incident is, have your preparedness plan ready to kick into gear. Because we have seen in- instances where an organization gets breached, but because of the way they responded quickly, promptly, gave their customers a feeling of strength and control, gave their employees a sense of empowerment through the process, and were able to communicate with the media in a way that resonated their share price actually went up, Mm. right? So security can be an enabler
1: and can be a differentiator if you get it right. Without doubt, without doubt. And I think from a key takeaway point of view, and this is not a plug at both of our businesses here, but from a security point of view, obviously look at hiring in the right. Companies to help with you, like look at do your checks and balances mm-hmm. on them as well, of course, um, and help and work with them in in helping you um, design your company in a in a safe way. Mm-hmm. Then, but also to another point that we've made a few times already now is the culture of the business. Think about steering that ship as mm-hmm. well. This is an area that constantly needs to be improved on, and you don't just get a good culture overnight. It's something no. that you start working on. Yep. And you iterate it, and you iterate it, and you're going to make some mistakes, and it's tough. But as long as everyone is aware of where you're going, yep. And you talked about communication being critical as well. Mm-hmm. We follow that path, and we're all um, we're all going to be in a much better position moving yeah. forward and yep. for the future, which is really exciting. What is uh, what is the the future for for your you personally look like? I mean, you've built this amazing business. You've uh, you know got top honors here and global top 50 and entrepreneur of the year and all these amazing things that you've done personally what where do you see yourself in the next 5 and 10 years
0: it's an it's an interesting question look i i have i have a real passion for giving back to the community that's like and you know my my, my background in cybersecurity is valuable in that sense. So, you know, one of the things that I really want to do is to try and create the ecosystem here in Australia to enable startup companies to flourish, not just cybersecurity companies. I can help cybersecurity companies more, probably more than others,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but, but to help the Australian ecosystem get behind those entrepreneurs in a way that they don't have to leave the country and take this massive long journey across the planet to make success. Right. And, and that, that for me is a pretty big, big one. Mm. Like, so, you know, um, I've started to invest in some local companies Mm -hmm. here and they're doing really well and trying to, trying to bring, Silicon Valley investors down here to see what's going on. So we don't have to go see you you want to invest in our companies because they're great. Mm. You make the effort and come down here. That yeah. kind of principle and building an ecosystem around them. So we've started to see a shift in, you know, some of the major banks and some of the major telcos getting behind these these startup companies and 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 investing in them early and being a partner to them in such that we will test your technologies, we will provide you with feedback that helps you to develop the world's best capability in these areas, because that's investing in the future of our country, Mm. right? And we have to have that long game plan now, like stop thinking about what's happening today and how we can benefit ourselves today. Think about the future and generations to come and look at what's happened down at lot 14, right? Like that's game changing for South Australia. That's game changing for Adelaide. It's been years worth of work, but it's an investment in all of the future generations, mm. right? Like I was interviewing a chap today, and he was going from our company and interview in our at our company to an interview with a space company to an interview with a, a leading um, IT provider to an interview with a venture capital firm. I mean. Ten years ago, five years ago, that's never possible. You'd have to fly to Melbourne, Sydney, you know, Los Angeles mm. to have those conversations, right? And today you can have them right here in Adelaide. So that's that's the kind of thing that I'm passionate about. You know, completely aside from that, you know, envirom- environment is a big, a big thing be. for me. So, you know, I'd like to see an opportunity for me to kind of um, have enough time on my hands to spend thinking about new ways that we can, you know, Advance conservation, mm-hmm. um, you know, starting with conservation in this country and making sure that we're doing the very best that we can to protect the environment that we live in for the future generations to come, which is not a foregone
1: conclusion right now. Yeah. No, I love it. I, w- I want to ask one quick question. Sorry, I am. I want to jump this in because what you were saying then about Lot 14 really sort of um, threw something at me. Previous guests on this show, uh, Adrian Temple, we had him on last week, who was chair of the SA Productivity Commission. We've had Bruce Judo, who's committee of Adelaide. Bruce's article in the paper recently talking about, you know, wake up Adelaide, you're not doing enough, sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing that. The the podcast that we did last week um, with Adrian Temple was about again um, the policies that South Australia has had, and I'm specifically talking about South Australia here. Um, has been very much geared towards the Lot 14s and the Tonsleys and putting time and effort and money into those precincts, um, to which uh, he's saying that we actually don't know and can't see the return on investment. Counter-arguing that, have you seen it to be an amazing precinct 100 yeah and, One, and and it's 100%. that scenario that you're talking about or have you seen can we see the next unicorns come out of there is that is that what we're saying we are seeing the, the
0: the next unicorns come out of there. there's a reason there's a reason why i moved back to adelaide right it's to be a part of that ecosystem right and you know you just have to look at it's 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 obvious when you come down there mm. right like uh, we have the four top space startups in the country are based in Adelaide. Adelaide. Yeah, that's right? like, like Fleet Space. And there's, there's heaps of them. There's Miriota. Yeah. There's, there's, there's heaps of All them, the right? right? Like there's, there's a lot. And that's just the space industry. Cybersecurity, you've got DTEX down there. Mm. You've got FiveCast down there. Two of the best companies ever to come out of Australia from a cybersecurity perspective. You've got defense companies, like you've got all the big defense primes that are down in Adelaide now, mm. right? And with them, they bring their whole supply chain, mm. right? These are this, this is transformational, right? Five years ago, you couldn't get interesting jobs in yeah. this high-tech space. Like they didn't exist. Tonsley, have you seen some of the companies that are operating down at Tonsley? It's advanced manufacturing at the bleeding edge. These are the world's best in the game, right? So – so anybody that says that there's not enough going on and they can't see the change that's happening hasn't been down there and
1: hasn't interacted with the ecosystem. I love it. I love a bit of a debate. <laughs> Gabs has got a smile on her face because uh, we, uh, last week we were hearing different things. But that, I think this is really important and Adrian is the first to say that I want someone to challenge me on my thinking on this because that's what we need from the state's point of view. We need to see this grow because if we are investing the time and money, then we want to see it flourish. Exactly. And I, I will say though, that we haven't done a good job as South Australia
0: in promoting what happens. Yeah. And that's that's a huge mistake, mm. right? And this is this is not just South Australia, this is Australian cultural mentality, yeah. right? It's like, you know. And one of the reasons why we have our our startup companies previously haven't been as successful as they could have been. In Australia, by and large, again, gross generalization, but majority of startup technology companies are founded by engineers (laughs) and they come up with brilliant ideas. Mm -hmm. They are brilliant engineering minds to, to come up with new concepts and building new concepts. What they don't have is the commercial Marketing, sales, business development now that the U.S. guys do. Mm. So the U.S. guys come up with complete bullshit vaporware a lot of the time. (laughs) A lot of the time, not all of the time, of course. But they come up with this stuff, but they're so good at the front end sales, marketing, business development piece that they manage to get the investment. They manage to get the customers even before they fully bake the product. Here in Australia, we're so concerned with fully baking the product and then trying to sell it. Whereas we should have engaged earlier in, in the piece, so we make sure it's fit for purpose yeah. and that we so that's that's a big that's a big thing. So what I will say is, we need to get better as Australians at the marketing, at the communications, at the business development piece. If we yeah. can do that, then the Adrians of the world won't be saying what they're saying because the message will have reached out to them and they would have engaged earlier because they'd be like, oh, "I want to be a part of that. Yeah. How do I get involved?" Right. So there is this there is this part of me that's saying, you know, we need to get better at communication. So if you think about all of our publications, our biggest publication here that everyone locally reads is the advertiser. Mm-hmm. So when a nice good story coming out of Lot 14 goes into the advertiser, no one outside of South Australia can read mm-hmm. read it because it's behind a goddamn paywall. Yeah. Right? It's an, it's, a, it's painful. Yeah. How can we promote South Australia if everything is behind a paywall? How can we promote the goodness of what's going down here if we only have one media channel, one print media channel? We need to have several. We need to have better social media promotion of what's going on. We need to be able to reach out to America and Europe with everything that we're doing constantly. So that is definitely a mind shift that that will will help change.
1: I speak to a a lot of CEOs every day um, as part of my work, not just the podcast, Um, but... And there's one that I've recently spoken to. who's moved here from – he's been in a CEO role for four years. He moved here from New Zealand to get this role. <clears throat> he said the only thing that he knew about South Australia – he'd never stepped foot in our state before agreeing to take on the job. The only thing he knew about our state was that we had good wine. That was it. That was the only thing. That's four years ago. Like, and you think, like, we are. We're horrible at promoting what is is going on. But inside our circles that don't rely on the
0: media to push this stuff out, right, I have so many friends in Sydney and Melbourne right now that are saying to me, if you can find me a job in Adelaide, I want to move the family there. I'll even take a pay cut because what you guys have got going on is so exciting. And -hmm. I just want to be where – the lifestyle is awesome there's yeah. no traffic you've got great wine yeah. you've got
1: great beaches and it's 10 minutes from the city
0: 100%. like i want to be there
1: and to the point of that ceo he's like since i've moved here there is no other place in the world that i will have. from the exact yep. point the, the travel the what the beaches all of the above mm-hmm. are pristine compared to yep.
0: what's happening in the well rest of the world. I, look
1: i've lived i've lived in singapore i've lived in
0: malaysia i've lived in london i've lived in the us there is nowhere on the planet that I want to be other than Adelaide. Like there's oh. just so much goodness going on here and it's just such a nice environment for the family. Like there's nowhere else on the planet I'd Brilliant.
1: want to be. Brilliant. Let's wrap up. Um, I've got a couple of minutes to just get through some quickfire questions <laughs> and then we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll push you out the door. Um, what are you reading right now? Well, I'm trying to get through rich dad poor dad. I don't have a lot of time.
0: <laughs> I don't have a lot of time to read at the moment, but um, it's an interesting Looking story, at right? Investing because, in. in it. Well, look, I mean, it's uh, it's an interesting story about a guy who has,
1: you know, two dads. Two dads. Yeah, yeah.
0: One's come from a poor background and his mentality and his view of the world, yeah. And and a, and a rich dad, and, and it's interesting to me because my dad came from a very poor background, mm. but he took. The, in Like in the book, the, the mentality of the rich dad, he took that mentality from being very, very poor and m- managed to, to, to
1: change his outcome. Um, yeah. So that's an interesting kind well, of story. I, just, I mean, I love Robert Kiyosaki, but it's just the, the it's all about mentality, right? It is. It, it is. If there's one book that you believe that stands out from the crowd, one that you might gift to others more so often, that one that they can improve <laughs> themselves with, what would that be?
0: That's a really good question and I'm trying to think through what I would say. Let's come back to that one. All right.
1: Do you listen to any other podcasts at all? I don't. You don't no. other than this one, of course. Of course, yes. <laughs> What's one lesson that's taking you the longest to learn? Well, I think the one that's taken
0: me the longest to learn, I'm still kind of learning it, I guess, is is to listen more than you speak. Mm. Um And as as you can tell, (laughs) as you can tell, like it's easy for me to speak. Um, But um, my first ever chairman told me that and ripped me out of a board meeting to specifically say, stop talking, listen, Mm. because when you listen, you will be able to change things more than when you speak.
2: Mm.
1: Yes, profound. Mm. If you could have three people over for dinner, (laughs) who would they be? Well, and I'm going to assume your family's there, right? So Yeah, look. It's an interesting one. Um
0: for me, look, music is a, a big part of my life. So I would I would have to choose musicians, mm-hmm. right? Like I would have Jimi Hendrix, yeah, cuz, you know, because, because you don't need to say yeah, anything well, else. Yet. Yeah, <laughs> I would have Zach De La Roca because he really cha- changed the way music can be used um, to spread messages that are important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would
1: just probably have Robert Plant just because. Okay, because. <laughs> the legends of the game yeah i love it what is you do you play music or you just guitar yeah Yeah. not not well i haven't played a lot in Mm -hmm. the last 20 years or so but But i I do just heavily invested into it yeah brilliant what's some of the best advice that you've ever received outside of the you know listen more
0: well i I, it's got to be from my dad right like so um and this is this is a very very topical one right now right because in silicon valley a lot of over the over the many years companies have been told to grow at all costs like spend th- spend money and uh, throw money at the problem and you will become you know a viable business at the end of it but today it's very different and so what my dad always told me was you don't have a business if it's not profitable like it's not actually a business mm. right it is it is not a going concern. And so today that's ringing true for me more than anything, anything else because profitability is king. And so, you know, we're in a, a, a very comfortable position from that perspective where a lot of Silicon Valley companies have taken massive amounts of investment and thrown it at the problem and grown their businesses too big to manage. And at a time like this when we're going into a downturn, it's very hard for them scary. to contract.
1: Yeah, really scary place to be. It is. I mean, isn't that the whole reason you go into business? Well, I mean, y- you would think so. Because I mean, the the Silicon Valley approach is grow business, like get a value. You would think so, but look it. at Uber. Yeah, I mean, right?
0: No profitability in sight. Massive company mm. with their own internal struggles that they're going through now, which are only going to get tougher in a
1: downturn. Mm. Absolutely. If you had um, access to a time machine, where would you go? <laughs> <laughs> I would go back
0: to nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. For, i would go back before
1: the big bug comes along. The two. Well,
0: before <laughs> before I got into business, pretty much. Okay. So you know, I was doing very different things. Then I was I was playing music. Yeah, uh, I had a band. I was uh, a break dancer and oh, performing really? for a living. So yeah, that's where I'd go. There you too. go. Yeah. Wow, I something is
1: that something that's never been mentioned on a podcast before? It is. That's going to go in the show notes, um, <laughs> Breakdancer. <laughs> um, if you, if, so if your house was on fire, I'm going to assume your family and pets and everyone are safe, um, what is the one thing that you would run that's, back in That's for? an easy
0: one, hmm. my 1977 Fender Stratocaster.
1: And that's, uh, that's a guitar. That's a guitar. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And is that is that a sentimental value to you, or uh,
0: it has sentimental value to me? Um, but it's also worth a fair bit. Fair bit, yeah. <laughs> Excellent.
1: Not signed by anyone. Just, no. it's just the, no. All right. What's it worth? What are, What would it be worth? I don't even know what it's worth today, but it's a, it's, it's it's a fair bit. It's got a number behind yeah. it. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, if you had one super bet, how one super power here? Um, what what am i saying one superhero power what would it be look i don't think it i don't think it's a superhero
0: power i think look at the end of the day i hope that i can be more thoughtful about the environment around me and others around me and not just humans but other beings around me and and trying to you know give more than i take and at the end of the day that's that's all that's really important to me
1: Look at you. That's brilliant. Thank you very much. Now, last one. You're a father of three. You mm. have to have a dad joke, surely. Oh, man, don't do this to me. Like my kids would say,
0: they're not jokes. They don't qu- they don't qualify as jokes, so don't ever tell them. But it. They, they do, <laughs> nah.
1: and I am a connoisseur of them. Dude. <laughs> There's only so much room in my brain for these things. Yeah, that is, I'm putting you on the spot. You don't have one prepared? No, I don't no, have no, one prepared. Oh, bugger. That's fine. Not a problem. Um, look, we're going to wrap up there. I know you do have to shoot off. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for all that you and the business are doing um, and in, in prep, prepping Australia and I guess the world from a you are a global business in, in putting us in a better position moving forward and keeping, a, keeping those bugs away and the bad guys away uh, as such. So thanks for, for everything you're doing. Thank you very much, Daniel. If someone did want to get in contact with you, how would they go about that?
0: Uh, there's many ways to get in touch with me, um, but I would say go and, go and have a look at our company, DTEC Systems. Uh, you'll find that online and you'll be, be able to find a way to get in touch with us. Excellent.
1: Again. Not a problem. And that's it, guys. Thank you very much. It's been very insightful, some scary moments throughout the way, but uh, I think you were consolidated when you said we're going to be okay as long as we keep going on the same track. So thanks again, Mo. Awesome. Thanks, Daniel. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast, all. You can check out the show notes if there was anything of interest to you and find out more about us at synergyiq.com.au. I am going to ask, though, if you did like the podcast, it would absolutely mean the world to me if you could subscribe, rate, and review. And if you didn't like it, that's all right too. There's no need to do anything. Take care, guys. All the best.